So for me, strength training has really helped me for one, understand like our human body is amazing. It's capable of so much. And for me, the, the feeling of being physically strong in the gym, um, it just makes me feel capable in life. It makes me feel strong and powerful. It lets me realize like what I can accomplish. And then more importantly, it helped me realize that that narrative that I'm just a weak person wasn't true. And so then I was like, oh, well, what other narratives in my life aren't true, right? And so I always think that strength is transferable. And so the strength I gained in the gym, I feel like that transferred into every area of my life. Welcome to the Mind Your Body Show, where you'll learn how to get your mind right so that your body will follow. I'm Trudy Stone, certified culinary nutritionist, TV guest expert, and author. After self-hacking my mind and body to lose 30 pounds, I now help busy, overwhelmed women use stress as their superpower so that they can rise above it and become more calm, resilient, and physically fit. Each week, not only will you learn nutrition and stress management habits, you'll also learn about the power of food to enhance your mental and physical well-being and how to overcome your battles with living a healthier lifestyle. The secret to eating healthier, improving your mood, and increasing your energy are not only about what you put in your stomach, it's also about what's going on in your brain. So congratulations on showing up. I promise to support you on your health journey with every single episode. Let's begin. Welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. This is culinary nutritionist Trudy Stone, and I'm so grateful that you've tuned in today. Today, we have an amazing and very special guest on the Mind Your Body Show, Chrissy King. Chrissy King is a fitness coach, writer, speaker, strength coach, and truth teller with a passion for creating a diverse and inclusive wellness industry. She's been featured in Self, Shape, BuzzFeed, Muscle and Fitness, and Livestrong, among many others. Chrissy empowers individuals to stop shrinking, start taking up space, and use their energy to create their specific magic in the world. When she's not serving her clients by empowering them to create stress-free and sustainable lifestyles and feel confident and empowered in their skin, she spends her time lifting all of the weights, reading, traveling, and hanging with friends and family. In this episode, we talked about the benefits of strength training, anti-racism in the wellness industry, how people of color can find fitness environments that are safe and inclusive, and how to get into the habit of moving daily. So I won't make you wait any longer. I can't wait for you to meet Chrissy King. All right. So I would love to welcome Chrissy King to the Mind Your Body show. Chrissy, how are you? I'm so good and so excited to be here chatting with you for a little bit. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you here as well. So Chrissy, if someone hasn't heard about you, in case they happen to be living under a rock, <laughs> or if this is their first introduction to you, can you just kind of give us a little bit of a, about a background about you? Sure. Um, so I'm Brooklyn-based um, writer. I write a lot um, in the niche of health and wellness, but a little background is I used to be a coach and a trainer. I still have a handful of clients that I work with, uh, but I got into the fitness industry as just a person who was drawn to fitness for a lot of reasons that a lot of people are. I wanted to lose weight, just to be um, honest. And I, through that process, I dealt with a lot of issues with my own body image and um yo-yo dieting and all, all the things that a lot of people deal with when they come into the fitness space. Um, but through that process, I also fell in love with powerlifting. I started powerlifting on a competitive level, um, eventually healed my relationship with my body. I started coaching and training other women. And a lot of the work I now do is around body liberation. Um, and then also I do a lot of work around anti-racism and diversity and inclusion. 
in the fitness and wellness space. Awesome. Those are all the things we're going to be getting into in this episode for sure. I can't wait. So Christy, how long have you been doing strength training? Um, it's probably been eight years now. Um, I am, it's interesting cause I'm five eleven, So I'm almost six, probably five eleven and a half. I'm almost six feet tall. And so, but I didn't grow up being very athletic. Um, I was like more into reading and writing. I knew from the point I was a kid, like I wanted to be a writer. Um, and so I wasn't very athletic and I didn't do like any type of physical strength training until my twenties when I joined the gym. Um, and the only reason I even started doing strength training then is because I hired a trainer. Um, prior to that, I was just like, you know, on the cardio equipment or the elliptical or the treadmill. Um, and so I hired my first trainer and she introduced me to strength training. Um, and I have kind of, well, it wasn't like a love at first, uh, site type of situation, <laughs> My first training session, I always talk about this, was 30 minutes, but it honestly felt like it was like hours. And I just remember my body felt like it had been like hit by a car for like two weeks after that. (laughs) I really didn't want to go back, but I had hired her for like a package. So I had to keep going. But eventually I really started to like it. And I like to see that things that were originally like so hard started to get a little bit easier. And I was like, oh, I can feel my body getting stronger. Um, And, but then, you know, months, months later when I did, um, started training at a different gym um, where her boyfriend had opened and it was a strength training gym. And I saw people like deadlifting and benching and squatting, which I had never seen. I saw women doing that and had never seen that before. And so when I finally started um, using the barbell, that was like a love at first lift type situation. It was like, as soon as my hand touched the barbells, I was like, oh, this is it. I love this so much. <laughs> awesome. So what would you say that weightlifting has done for you physically as well as mentally in your life? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this question so much because, um, you know, I think, like I said, I, I joined the gym because I wanted to lose weight, but powerlifting specifically helped me realize, like helped me switch the focus on like what my body looked like to what my body was capable of. Um, and so my narrative growing up was that I would, even in my family, it was like the running joke that I was like the weakling, right? Like nobody was asking me to help them do anything. <laughs> and that didn't bother me though. I was just like, oh yeah, some people are weak. Some people are strong. And so my narrative was always that I was weak. But then when I started powerlifting, I was like, oh, strength is a skill, just like any other skill in life that you develop. Right. And so I went from being like, not able to do like any pushups and like, you know, lift any weight. And then years later, years and years later, I'm deadlifting 500 pounds. Right. And so it's like such a switch. And so for me, strength training has really helped me for one, understand like our human body is amazing. It's capable of so much. And for me, the, the feeling of being physically strong in the gym, um, it just makes me feel capable in life. It makes me feel strong and powerful. It helps me realize like what I can accomplish. And then more importantly, it helped me realize that that narrative that I'm just a weak person wasn't true. And so then I was like, oh, well, what other narratives in my life aren't true, right? Mm. And so I always think that strength is transferable. And so the strength I gained in the gym, I feel like that transferred into every area of my life. And again, that led me down the path of becoming a coach and a trainer. Um, And at that time, I was working full-time for the federal government, not related to anything I'm doing now. And now, you know, fast forward all these years later, I have been working in fitness. I'm completely transitioned out of that career um, and writing full time, which is like what my dream was when I was a kid. Right. And I got sidetracked from that dream. And so I just think it really helped me realize that we, that I, and I think all of us are selling ourselves short sometimes in terms of what we think we're capable of. Um, and that, you know, there's just so much lessons from strength training that can be, I think, spread into every area of your life. 
Yeah. And, you know, you touched on so many things there, Chrissy, that I wanted to unpack. And really, it is about that perception. And a lot of the times we work out things to be in our head a lot more difficult than they actually are. And we set ourselves up for failure before we even try. And, you know, that's kind of my life motto. Like, I would rather try it something and maybe even fail at it than to never try it at all. Because when you push yourself outside of your comfort zone, that is the only way that you're going to grow. And the only way that you're going to find out what you're capable of and what your limitations are or aren't is just to try and just to put yourself out there. And like you said, like, if you don't like it, like you can always, you know, do something else or try a different workout, but at least like just put in the effort and then just try. And you might actually surprise yourself as well. Yes, I totally agree. And, you know, I talk about this and we'll probably get into this a little later, but I talk about the same analogy when it comes to like doing the work of anti-racism as I talk about when it comes to fitness is like, you know, whether it be strength training or deciding to run a, a 5k or deciding to start a new yoga practice, right? When you start that, it's always uncomfortable. You know, it, it has to be and it's like through um, the discomfort is where the growth happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of my really good friends was a life coach, Sharon Eskandani. She, um, quoted this way more eloquently than I am now, but, um, but that's the, that's the, the crux of it is that it always, all the positive things happen through discomfort. And so often we want to like skip to the end result, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And about going through. And I think with social media as well, sometimes we have this propensity to look at other people and like, oh my gosh, they're so successful. It just happened overnight. And it was like, no, 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 you didn't see all the things that they were doing behind the scenes. And it never happens overnight. It's always years of work. It's hardships, it's hard setbacks, it's failures, right? It's discomfort, it's sacrifices. But those are the things that um, develop growth and, and um, change in our lives. Oh, absolutely. And I can think of some of the most difficult things and times that I've had in my life. And had I had not gone, gone through those situations, I don't think I would be the person that I am today. And I know that I've seen a lot of growth. And I've also learned a lot of things about myself that I needed to learn that I probably wouldn't have learned had I not gone through that situation. So I'm so thankful that you talked about that. Now, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast on the Mind Your Body show is the importance of your narrative um, and the things that we tell ourselves that aren't true and overcoming those sabotaging thoughts. So you touched on it a little bit earlier when you talked about having this narrative about being weak. And I've heard you talk about this in other interviews as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I just was like, yeah, I'm a weak person. Like I don't have physical strength and I was totally fine with it. Like, I didn't even think that was a bad narrative. I'm like, yeah, I'm just weak. Like that's what it is. Um, and and again, my first training session did imply that I did not have much physical strength, right? Like, (laughs) um, but I kept going back and I kept like strengthening those muscles and, and, you know, doing hard things, doing challenging things, going when sometimes I didn't honestly feel like it again. Um, experiencing the discomfort, right? We think about muscle growth, right? It's actually like tearing the muscle fibers and repairing them and they're stronger. And so I kept doing mm-hmm. that. And then I looked up and I was like, wow, I'm actually like even simple things. Like I remember like my first session having to do like walking lunges and I was like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. I'm right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> Had that experience too. <laughs> You know, a couple months later, I'm like doing them with dumbbells in my hands and I feel like way better. Right. And so it's like those little um, things. And then again, I, you know, fast forward years and I'm deadlifting hundreds of pounds. And it's like, wow, that would have been quite impossible for me to imagine doing at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I also think it's so important to remember like the power of like taking little small actionable steps every day. Right. right. You know, and sometimes we look at people and we're like, oh my gosh, I want to be there. And like, our, our can't necessarily see ourselves there yet. Right. So what can the thing that we can see ourselves doing today 
And then we build on that. And so the same thing in, in all areas of our lives, I think about myself, like now writing full time, which is like a dream come true for me, but that didn't happen. Like one day I'm just writing full time. Right. 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 Or just like on my early days, um, you know, just blogging on my own personal blog when no one was really reading it anyways. Right. But it was still showing up and writing even and getting better and practicing and putting myself out there, even though it felt like, who am I to be talking? Who am I to be writing about this? Mm-hmm. And just doing it anyway for, for long periods of time when again it felt like I don't even know why I'm doing this because I don't think anybody's even paying attention right and I remember one day I wrote an article um about like the lack of diversity in fitness and it was mm-hmm. like I was so scared to write that article and then I posted it and like it was the first time that people like shared my work and I was like oh my gosh someone's reading this is so great um, <laughs> they know I'm alive <laughs> It was the first article why I felt like I was really like writing about things I wanted to write about and not writing about what I thought people wanted to hear me say. Mm. I was being true to myself. Um, And then fast forward, like, you know, I don't know how long exactly the time frame is, but I remember um, there's a platform or organization called Girls Gone Strong. I don't know if you're familiar or not, but Girls Gone Strong um, is um, founded by this woman named Molly Galbraith. And Molly, you know, you have people in your mind that are like, oh my gosh, this person, this organization is just so amazing. They had been very, um, a big part of like my, like perception of strength in women. Cause they do a lot of things around, um, strength training for women. And so it was like this, it was like a giant in my mind. Like, oh my gosh, the organization is so amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember Molly, like maybe a few months after that had reached out and asked me if I would write an article for girls gone strong. And I remember they paid me a hundred dollars. I was like, oh my God, somebody is going to pay me. <laughs> write an article. Right. And it was like the first thing that led me to my journey of where I am now, but it was like a really big deal to me. And so I, I just, I always have to remind myself and I always want to remind other people that no matter where we're going, the steps are always small and we can't see, you know, like as humans, we really want to like identify a path, right. That this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And I look back at my trajectory and I'm like, I could have never imagined any of those things happening the way they are. So I always encourage people to do the thing you love in the world, whatever that is, right? And don't look at it as like, I need to see these results or I need to see this money. Like just keep doing the thing that you love and it's going to work out in the way it's supposed to work out. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. There's so many lessons there. I hope that the audience is taking notes right now. (laughs) I should have been too. Confused about which foods to stock in your kitchen? My free Bear Essentials ebook is the ultimate grocery list for healthy eating success. In the ebook, you'll learn how to stock your kitchen, which removes the confusion about what's actually healthy. The ebook also contains healthy, delicious recipes so that you can put those ingredients into action and give your body the nutrient that it needs. You can grab it now at trudyestone.com forward slash pantry. There's also a link in the show notes for you to grab it. All right. So Chrissy, I want to switch gears for a little bit. And I want to talk about representations of fitness and stereotypes of, you know, black women in the fitness industry. So how can representations of fitness and stereotypes hurt black women's fitness and health journeys? Because I think I remember listening to um, an interview you did and you talked about when you were launching like an online coaching program and you were looking for pictures and different graphics to represent the women that you were trying to serve and you were having a difficult time. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. So, um, I think when I decided, you know, after being a coach and a trainer, I was coaching in person and it was a point where I decided I wanted to have a big, bigger impact. And I was like, I really would love to do something again. This is like all pie in the sky. Like, I really would love to do something online one day. I'd love to be able to work from anywhere. And so it's all these ideas I had. And so I hired a business coach, like very 
um, rant. I'm a Sagittarius. So when I decided something, it just happens like no thought. <laughs> so I hired a business coach and I started like doing online stuff and committing to like trying to build an online business. And so I was, um, launching like a new program and not only just launching a new program, like when I committed to that, then I started going to more like industry events and like trying to really immerse myself in the fitness industry, learn as much as I could. And so I started like traveling and going to conferences and then I go there and I'm like, Whoa, like all, you know, so it wasn't just because of like, you know, clientele, but it was also like, I was seeing these fitness events and industry events where the majority of the speakers were white male. Right. And there was no, really weren't people of color, black women, not even just black women, black people, period, or people of color, period, being represented. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting because when I go to the gym, I see people of all different backgrounds working out of all different body types, right? They're not just thin, white, cisgender, heterosexual people in the gym, but that's what I was seeing represented on these panels and these workshops. And then, and then I was launching my online program and I was trying to look for graphics to create something. And I remember typing in just like yoga or like women doing push-ups, and all the people that were popping up at the beginning were like thin white women. And I was like, wow, this is really problematic. And I started thinking, especially when I was at those events, I was like, wow, as a coach and a trainer and a person who was like, wow, I want to this industry, I want to make an impact. If you go to events like these and you don't see yourself represented at those levels, it really makes you wonder, well, is there a place for me in this space, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of what I want to accomplish. And then more so if, if all the mainstream magazines are showing, and even if you go to the restaurant, right, you see who's on the cover and it's gotten getting better, but you know, a few years back, all you're seeing on the covers of magazines are thin white women. You're like, well, maybe fitness isn't a space for me, or maybe my body type isn't the type of body that belongs in a fitness space. Or maybe I don't feel comfortable going into a gym because I don't think he was going to look like me, whether it be based on race or ethnicity or based, <clears throat> based on size, body type, gender, um, identity and all these things, maybe the gym doesn't feel like a safe space for me. And so when we think about representation, it's so important for people to see themselves represented in fitness spaces because you feel more comfortable going into a space where you know at least someone looks like you or someone that has a similar identity to you. You know, and especially as a Black person, I think when we are talking about like race relations in this country right now, going into a space where you have someone at least that looks like you makes yeah. you feel a little bit more comfortable, right? right? You still don't know what to expect when you walk in that space, but you're like, all right, well, I know that maybe they're used to seeing someone like me, right? Right, right. And hope for the best. And so it's just so important. But then I also think it's equally important for people who are not in the, or who are in the dominant group, right? To see what's possible with people who don't look like them. And so if, if we're going to events and all the speakers are white or the majority of the speakers are white male, what does that say about the organizers that, what do they see about the capabilities of people who don't look like them? And so all these things tie into our own bias in our own implicit bias that we all have. And, and, and I think when it comes to health and fitness, particularly, it is so important for um, all of us, I think, to be talking about, you know, issues of racism and as it pertains to fitness, because racism is a public health issue. And so, so many times the conversation is like, oh, I'm just here to work out. And it's like, sure, you're just here to work out. But as a Black woman living in this world, racism has an impact on my health. And if our job as health and wellness practitioners are help people to live their best, healthiest, fullest lives, we can't um, deny part of someone's identity, you know, in the spirit of only being in health and fitness. And so I just think that these are all issues that are very intersectional and that we have to start to look outside of our own identity 
communities when we are trying to address health and wellness. That applies for me too. I think about this all the time being a cisgender heterosexual black woman. I'm like, okay, if I walk into a space and I was a transgender person, how would I feel in this space? Right. Mm. It's always looking outside of ourselves for how we can improve and make things better. I make sure people feel represented and seen and respected and celebrated. Yeah. Oh my God, Chrissy, like, oh, everything you said there, everything. I agree 110%. And, you know, even as a black woman who is a nutritionist, like I've had my own hangups about even just getting into nutrition. This was like five or six years ago. And I was like, well, there's not really a lot of black nutritionists out there. Like, who am I to become, you know, a nutritionist? So that was, you know, one hurdle I had to get over. And then, you know, focusing on brain health, which I do, I, you know, have a focus on brain health. I've studied brain health extensively, um, even a brain health course for cleaning magazine. And even that, like when they approached me and asked me to develop this course for them on brain health, I thought, oh my God, like there is no black people talking about brain health. Like if you look at people in the brain health space, it's predominantly white males talking about brain health. You won't find, you'll be pressed to find um, any black professionals that will talk about brain health. Um, And even here in Canada, I I also do some TV work here. Um, I'm a resident guest expert on a national TV program here in Canada. Um, And even when I started doing that, like I was hesitant because I thought, my God, like there's no black nutritionists on TV doing, talking about healthy eating and talking about nutrition and how to feel your body. So, but I do think that that's important because a lot of clients have found me because of those things. And it's like, look, like before you, like, I didn't see anybody in these spaces. So that's why I want to work with you. And that's why I want you to be my coach, because I want to learn from somebody that looks like myself. So I, I do really think that everything you've said there um, is so important. And it is important for us to find our people in that wellness space as well to, you know, to get the help that we need. Um, and that, that actually leads me to the next question as well, um, because I found you when you wrote that article for Shape Magazine, and it was all about why wellness professionals you know, need to be part of that conversation about racism. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about here. And the first one is, you know, what made you start to highlight that issue? Um, and the second part of that question is, you know, what is the impact of racism on health and why do you think it's a public issue? So let's start with why you why you decided to highlight the issue. Yes, I started. So um, I, I decided to highlight the issue like I, I kind of alluded to before when I was creating that program and I couldn't find graphics. I wrote an article about this on my own personal blog. And the reason I decided to do it is twofold. Cause similar to what you were just saying, it was it was this uh, idea that, well, Number one, I was showing up online very much like I want to be a health professional. I want to help people and all that. And that's great. But I was not, I was shying away from issues that were important to me because I didn't want to be perceived as like an angry black woman. I didn't mm-hmm. want to upset, you know, the the status quo. So it was like online, I was taking, talking about all this stuff. But then offline, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of not seeing this. I'm so tired of this. And so there was a day I was like, well, I could keep saying I'm so tired of not seeing what I'm seeing, or I could just talk about this issue and deal with whatever the, whatever happens. And the interesting right. thing is also really funny because I don't know what I thought was going to happen because like no one was reading my work anyway. So <laughs> I don't know what I thought was going to occur, but I was like nervous anyways. And so it was actually the business coach that I was talking about. Her name is Jill Coleman. I had told Jill about this blog that I wrote and Jill was like, so why haven't you posted it yet? And I'm like, oh, because I'm essentially because I'm scared. And so she was like, no, you need to do the thing that that's, that means that's the thing you need to do. So 
Um, I remember posting that blog on my own personal blog. And again, a lot of people read and shared it. People in the fitness industry that I really looked up to read it. And I was just like, wow, I can't believe this. But the thing that was cooler is that I got so many messages from black and brown women saying like, thank you so much for talking about this because I felt this for so long. I didn't know how to put words to it. And so I was like, oh yeah, this is not just me out here feeling this way. This is a lot of people feeling this way. Um, And so you know, writing that article was really just because I felt like it was something I had to talk about. It was something that needed to be discussed. Um, And again, so that happened. And then, you know, a few months later, um, Self Magazine asked me to reach out to me and asked me to talk about this. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, so this is a, this is an issue that we need to be discussing in the fitness industry. Um, And so, you know, that was back in 2016 though. So, you know, it was interesting what happened this summer is, you know, with everything that happened with George Floyd, and I'm sure that you got inundated the same way, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden people are like, oh my gosh, racism. And I'm like, literally, this is the same thing I've been talking about for four years now. Right, right. But okay, like, I will welcome, talk- welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I it again, right? But- <laughs> Um, I wrote an article similar in 2018 um, on my own personal blog, and it was right after the events of Charlottesville and the KKK mm. rallies, right? And so what I do see this time around in fitness, I feel like more people are open to the conversation than have been in, in past times. But right. again, I don't think that information is anything new. It's the same topics. Um, so that's why I talked about it. But when we think about racism being a public health issue, and the reason I say that is because racism has an actual impact on our health, and whether that be because we actually experience racism or just the perceived uh, ability, the, the perceived, the perception that you will experience racism in the world leads to higher levels of blood pressure, higher levels of heart disease, higher levels of, higher levels of cancer, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And many of these things are seen as early as our twenties. And so when we think about the fact that just experiencing racism leads to physical health problems, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And that racism is, you know, regardless of people want to, like, especially here in America, right? I mean, like racism is everywhere. But mm. if, you know, it, for people globally who have been paying attention to what's happening in the US, even this week, right, with the storming of the Capitol by what I refer to yeah. as the rioters, but white supremacist terrorists, yeah. right? Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, that is, that is traumatizing. And it's also, you know, thank God I'm not that close to DC, but like, it's traumatizing. It's scary. It's the reality that you're living with in a country that this type of racism is accepted and almost, um, encouraged by our, our former president or soon to be former president, you know, you think about all those things. And then you think about regular, and we're living during Corona, right. And coronavirus has Two to, te- two to three times the death rate for black America, black people mm-hmm. than it does for other groups. And so you think of all these things and you're like, yeah, racism has a real impact on our health and it is a public health issue. And, and, and if we don't, and the fact that, you know, there's a really great YouTube video, which I would, I'm going to share with you after the show. And you yes, maybe please. Well, it's, um, and, and it's this really great TED talk about why racism is a public health issue. One of the things he brings up in the video is more related to police brutality, but he was talking about how many people die as a result of police brutality every year. He's like, but what's even a greater public health issue is that that many people die because of lack of proper medical care. Black people die as a result yes. of, lack of proper medical care yes. than even police brutality, right? So these are things that are happening all the time, mm-hmm. regardless of Corona, regardless of all the, the race issues that are happening. And so those are, these are, things that are really having a real impact on health. And so it's very short-sighted to not view to the stats, right? Science, like the statistics, you can look at the stats, the information's on 
on the CDC website. And so it's really clear that these are are public health issues affecting people and to not address those or to not talk about that. It's just, uh, it's short-sighted. And also it's like, who are you really catering to then? Mm -hmm. Um, Are you only catering to certain types of people? And, and, and for me, if a wellness practitioner wants to ensure that the clients that come to them are living healthy and whole lives, that goes beyond just exercise and nutrition, right? It's about Mm -hmm. mental health, spiritual health. Absolutely. It's about being a whole, um, a holy well. And so we can't ignore those issues. Absolutely. And, you know, Chrissy, when my clients start to work with me, the very first thing I start to work with them on is their mindset. And it's like, no, I I want the salad. No, I want the, how much kale, how much chicken do I eat? And it's like, no, 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 honey. Like we need to talk about the mindset first. We need to address that foundation because unless we address that foundation and those things that got you here, doesn't matter what I give you, you're not going to stick with it. Right. Um, so, so many things you said it. And, and when I look at, you know, what's going on, um, you know, with black people specifically, I feel like, you know, COVID has been, um, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, it's an, it's an epidemic on top of already existing epidemics in the black community, right? Yeah. So you have your obesity, you have your heart disease, you have all of those different things. And also having all of those other pre-existing conditions that also puts you at a higher risk for Alzheimer's disease, which are also seeing start to grow in the black community as well. So there's, it's just a cyclone of so many different things. So I, I 100% agree with you. It absolutely is a public health, health issue. And I'm so glad that you talked about that. Um, and it's definitely something that I wanted to highlight here for sure. Um, so Chrissy, you are on a mission, girl. <laughs> You're on a mission to make fitness a more, you know, feel more exclusive for black people and for other people with bodies outside of the fitness norm, you know, outside of the white and the thin, let's just call it what it is, right? We want to make the you know these spaces more inclusive. So can we talk a little bit more? And I you touched on this a little bit more, but can you talk about maybe more of the diversity problem in fitness and what other trainers and fitness professionals can do to start to combat some of these diversity problems that we're seeing? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of things I, um, I do over the summer, I did two courses and the first one was anti-racism for wellness professionals. And the second, um, was diversity inclusion for wellness professionals. And in order to register for diversity inclusion, you had to be anti-racism first. And there's a reason for that because I think that, you know, diversity inclusion have kind of unfortunately become like buzzwords within the industry. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And diversity inclusion is very important, but it doesn't matter if it's not really, uh, based in solid action and, and have true meaning. And so for me, before anyone can even try to do the work of diversity inclusion, we have to do the work of anti-racism in our own lives. Right. Right. And so I think for health and wellness professionals, it's really, especially for um, non-black health and wellness professionals, I think it's very, very important to look at how racism is showing up in your own life, because although we don't like to admit that, right, it shows up in a myriad of ways, no matter who you are. And so um, a book that I always recommend for people is Me and White Supremacy by Leila Saad. And so I think the best thing that the first thing and most important thing that fitness and, and wellness and nutrition or fitness and wellness professionals can do is really work to unlearn and unpack some of the racism in their own lives and to admit that it's mm-hmm. there and that they have their own biases that they have to work through, right? And I think that's the first step that we all be doing that work on ourselves. And then when we do that work on ourselves, then collectively we can go and say, okay, now that we recognize like how these things are showing up within our lives, within the industry, now we can work towards creating an industry that feels more diverse and inclusive. Because again, diversity is about how many different people do you have represented, right? And so you can have an environment that's very diverse. You can have people from all different backgrounds there, but that doesn't mean they feel good in that space. That just means that they're there, right? Mm-hmm. And so inclusion is 
inclusion is like have people from all different backgrounds, but they also feel seen, represented, respected, celebrated. They feel like they belong there. They feel like the space was created with them in mind, not as an afterthought. And so Bernard Myers, who is a diversity inclusion expert, she has this quote and this analogy that I absolutely love. And she says, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. And so I think about that. Isn't that good, right? I like that. Like, girl, you made me reach for the pen. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I go back to like middle school or something. You go to that first dance and you go and you're invited to a party, for example, and you feel like awkward there. You're like on the wall watching everyone else. And you're like looking at your watch like, this is so uncomfortable. I can't wait to leave. That's what diversity feels like. Inclusion feels like you're at the party. You were in the middle of the dance floor having the time of your life. And you're like, I can't wait to come back here again. (sighs) And that's what we want people to feel when we come into our spaces. And so then it's like with that thought process in mind, we can walk into our spaces, whatever they be, whether they be gyms, whether they be yoga studios, whatever they, whatever they are, we can walk into the spaces and say, okay, if I was from a different identity and I walked into this space, how would I feel here? Would I feel like this is a place that I want to come back to? Would I feel like, oh, there's a place for me to, if, if I'm transgender and I walk into the space, is there a place for me to safely change and use it and change clothes and go to the bathroom and all of those things, right? If I walk into here as a, as a black or brown person, do I feel welcome here, right? Do I know this is a safe space for me? And are people being mindful of the music choices that they're playing, right? Like all of these things are things that we need to consider. Am I asking people what their pronouns are? Am I normalizing that experience? So then you can walk and be like, how would I feel if I walked in here? Would I be like, wow, I can't wait to come back here. And so I think that's the part with diversity and inclusion that people miss sometimes. It's not just about having different people here. It's about how do those people feel in these spaces? Mm, I love that. And so Chrissy, that quote was by Vernon. Verna, B, Verna, oh, B- Verna. R- Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. And she's a really well-known diversity inclusion expert. And I think she's working, I think she works with Netflix now maybe, but she's, she does amazing work. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I'm writing that down. I'm taking notes here. (laughs) (laughs) That was great, Chrissy. Um, So Chrissy, if someone wanted to start, you know, a daily practice of movement and exercising, like what would you recommend as a fitness professional on how how someone can start a journey to moving daily? Yeah, I love that question. So um, I am always, when I think about movement, I always think about, there's also another great book called The Joy of Movement. Um, And I love that one. Yeah, yeah. And I love the idea of moving our bodies in ways that feel good, right? Because early on in my, <clears throat> excuse me, my fitness journey, I used exercise as something I had to do, right? To like beat my mm. body into submission, beat my body into shape. I did things I didn't even want to do in the name of like health and fitness. And I just don't believe in that anymore. And so I really believe in moving our bodies in ways that feel good. And, you know, sometimes you want to strength train and lift some heavy weights and sometimes you just don't, Right. But I do, I do really believe in the power of daily movement for our health and well-being. So for me, and I'm always talking to people who are like, I just want to get in the habit of moving. I'm like, just go in the habit of going for a walk every day, right? Mm-hmm. Start, even if it's just 15 minutes a day, whatever you can commit to, that's like a great way to ju- and just to do do daily movement. It's good for your body. It's good for so many things, but and it's a it's an easy way to do a daily movement practice. And then think about things that you like, excuse me, things that you like and things that you enjoy and like new things that you want to try, perhaps. Maybe you like to dance and you want to just dance it out. That's a great way to get in movement, you know? And I think for me, I think about 
you know, um, new skills. Like I'm picking up kettlebells again and learning new skills with kettlebell. That's what feels fun to me right now and exciting. And so do things that feel good and that you enjoy. I think that's the best way to get yourself to stay engaged in movement every day. Mm, But I'm a big proponent of daily walks for everybody. Just like, even if it's just 15 minutes, like go for a walk, get some fresh air. You know, I'm in Brooklyn. It's cold. You're in Toronto. It's cold there too. Bundle up, take a 15 minute walk. You know, I just, I really encourage that for people. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Chrissy. Like I'm, I'm all about the daily walks. I've actually started doing that again um, recently over the past couple of weeks because I was doing it and then I just kind of stopped doing it. But the thing I love about the walks is that I feel like it checks a lot of different boxes at the same time because I'm getting in my exercise by walking. Um, if it's a sunny day, I'm getting my vitamin D. Um, if I put on a podcast that I'm learning something, right, I'm getting that fresh air and it's also improving my mental health. So I just feel just by doing just a walk for like 15 minutes, it just checks off so many of those boxes to living healthy. I wholeheartedly agree. I de- yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah. So Chrissy, I have a question that I ask all of my guests that come on the Mind Your Body show. And that is, what is your favorite way to take care of your mind and your body? Ooh, that's a good question. So I think it varies for me. But right now, one of my favorite ways to take care of my mind, and has been for a while, actually, um, is fiction reading. So for a long time, I was only reading books to like learn things. And like in January of last year, I had a lot going on personally. And I was like, I'm gonna read a fiction book again. And I was like, why did I ever stop doing this? This is so great. So that is definitely my favorite way to take care of my mind. Um, And to take care of my body, I think, again, I am really keen on listening to what my body needs, right? Which kind of changes every day. But I will say, I'm going to go back to walking. That is probably my favorite way to take care of my body on a daily basis. Um, But I also love to like do um, self-care practices like bubble baths. We know it sounds like a little woo-woo, not woo-woo, but it feels a little like pie in the sky. But I do like to do that. And then like, um, like lather up with a really good shea butter, just like self, like make my body, you know, a nice shea butter that has like a that and just really like nourish my body. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, and, water. I'm, and water. Sorry. Yeah. And water. water. Okay. <laughs> now that's an important one. Staying hydrated is key. Like if you're yeah. dehydrated, you can have brain fog, like all sorts of different things. Right. Um, but I'm with you on the fiction book. And I was like that too. Yeah. Like I was always reading like personal development books or I was reading like business books or like marketing and all these different, you know, business books. Right. And then uh, I think it was last year, similar sort of thing. Like I was like, wait a minute, when's the last time I read a fiction book? And I think it was right around the time the pandemic started to hit. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Like, I guess maybe I have a you know few extra minutes of you know time in my hands. I might as well start reading a book. So I started doing that. Um, I think my favorite book I read last year might've been Queenie. I don't know if you've read that book before. Oh, oh it was awesome. It was such a good summer read. <laughs> have you read An American Marriage? No, I haven't read that one. Please read it. It's so good. Okay. We're going to have to swap book lists after this. (laughs) Maybe start a book club. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Chrissy, where can people find your amazing self? Oh, thank you. Um, You can find me on my website is chrissyking.com. I'm most active in terms of social media. I'm most active on um, Instagram and it's I am Chrissy King. Perfect. Chrissy, I am so fortunate and feel so blessed that you were able to come on the Mind Your Body show today. Thank you so much for enlightening us on what we can do to create a more diverse and more inclusive environment um, as fitness professionals, as wellness professionals. Thank you so much for the advice that you gave to people on how they can start incorporating movement in their body and just to start, right? Just to get started to move. So thanks again, Chrissy, for being on the show. It was my absolute pleasure having you here. 
Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I like thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's so much fun. And I just really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mind Your Body Show. I hope that you learned something new to help you transform your life and your body. For more after the show, make sure to head over to TrudyEstone.com. That's where you'll find all of the show notes. Also, make sure to head over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a rating to let us know what you thought about the episode. And remember, get your mind right and your body will follow. Thanks for tuning in.